You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival Podcast. I am Matthew Baker, and I perform a comedy stunt show at the Moisture Festival. And I'm Louie Fox, and I perform a comedy magic show and hand shadow puppets at the Moisture Festival. If you're new to this program and don't know exactly what the Moisture Festival is, the Moisture Festival is a four-week festival celebrating the variety arts, and it happens in the city of Seattle. They've got the new venue, which is the Broadway Performance Hall. Now, this is the largest festival of its kind in the world and features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, the Moisture Festival also hosts a week of burlesque shows. Yeah. Now, if you're listening to this during the festival or around festival time, be sure to get tickets now because 95% of the shows sell out. You can get tickets to all of the shows by visiting the website moisturefestival.org. On today's episode, we are joined via Zoom by the amazing Brad Weston. We talk about his starting out street performing at the zoo. (laughs) Yeah, we get into sort of how he was interested in the variety arts at a pretty young age and how that sort of... Uh, manifested into going to clown college and going to Commedia dell'arte and sort of led him to what he performs today. Yeah. Led him to working on a cruise ship where he met his wife. Yeah. And uh, the ins and outs of financing going to clown school. <laughs> yeah, it's a really great interview with Brad. Let's get to it. Yep. Today's guest has been in the entertainment industry for over 30 years. He has appeared on The Tonight Show twice, David Letterman twice, and Ellen DeGeneres once. He is a comedian, singer, songwriter, juggler, and writer. We welcome in the multi-talented Brad Weston. Hey, (laughs) what's going on, people? So Why Ellen DeGeneres only once? (laughs) What's going on? Yeah, you know, you're right. I really dropped the ball on that one. (laughs) Gonna have to apologize to all of my, to both of my fans. <laughs> well, your mom is saying, "Hey, where, 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 why not Ellen two times?" Yeah, yeah. No, my mom's dead. Oh. <laughs> Let's start this out like that. <laughs> nice. So, so tell us uh, exactly what you do. What is uh, what's the elevator pitch? Like, what do you tell people that you do? You know, uh, first of all, I'm glad we're doing 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm terrible at elevator pitches. Uh, essentially, what I'm selling right now is comedy juggling. Uh, and I've just sort of boiled it down to something people can relate to, something there's already a niche built in to sell to. However, uh, my work involves a pretty wide variety of traditional circus skills like tightrope and rollabola, unicycle. Uh, all kinds of balance juggling and toss juggling. Uh, I've added some music and original tunes in. So like music you've written has been added in? Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of songs I've written. 
you know, it took me a while to, to get up the courage to add a whole new style of work. Right. But uh, I found lots of places where it's safe to fail <laughs> to try out new things, you know, and then I bring it out in front of real audiences later. Now, I read that you uh, are a graduate from the School of Commedia dell'arte. Did you, were you like juggling before that? What, where did the interest in sort of, you know, sort of clown work or mask work, where did that come from? What was the sort of genesis? Where did you start at? What was your first sort of skills? Uh, well, uh, to be perfectly honest, as a very young child, I was already doing uh, pantomime and lots of, you know, physical things like uh, eccentric dance. There was a lot of a lot of stuff on TV when I was a little kid that showed people at their best doing weird things. And so I kind of always knew that I was uh, that sort of the variety arts and a vaudeville style approach appealed to me. I started actually juggling uh, when I was 12 and began street performing at 13 because uh, I lived in Chicago and there was mm -hmm. a pitch very close uh, Lincoln Park Zoo in Chicago. So that was the first skill I really performed. And then I had been doing magic earlier than that uh, and kept it up until around, oh, 21 or 22. Then I decided, you know, I needed to focus a little more on objects in motion mm. as opposed to trickery. Well, let's back it up a little bit. You street performed at the zoo? Yeah, Lincoln Park Zoo. Like, like in the zoo, like in the gate or like outside the gate? Actually, just outside the front gate. Um, although there were some pitches inside as well. It's a, in Chicago, this zoo is a free open zoo. Okay. Yeah. So the public can just come and go as if it were a city street. Mm. Okay. And then you're yeah. like, you're like, Hey, I'm juggling in front of the ostrich or whatever. Or were there like assigned spots? No, at the time there was really no infrastructure to, there was no permit required or anything. You just show up, find a spot and get to work. Wow. Yeah. And I had seen a number of great artists come through the the prior summer. So I kind of already knew there was a pitch and I understood uh, a little bit about it. You know, I mean, certainly my first couple of days out there were, you know, like thirty dollar days. Mm -hmm. And you're this is you're a 13 year old kid at this point. Yeah. Yeah. And are you doing magic or juggling in these first street shows? Uh, it was pretty weird because. Instead of doing like a big pitch show, I sort of did a an ambient entertainment approach, um, which nowadays we call it walk around. Um, I didn't quite know what it was at the time. I just knew that I was like pretty quick on my feet in terms of relating to people. So I created this character where I was like a sort of like a like a David Copperfield, you know, a little British street urchin. Uh and understand this was 83, so uh, people didn't have a lot of exposure to this type of character work. Mm -hmm. So people just assumed that my parents were touring with a circus and I had the afternoon off and I kind of kept the ruse going, you know, <laughs> so I gave them this exotic thing. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, looking back on it though, my my British accent's not that great. <laughs> <laughs> They're like he's traveling from a fake British circus. So you yeah. you were doing a little bit of everything. You were doing some mime at a young age, juggling, um, and then some magic. So when so when you went to Commedia dell'arte, was that sort of like I need to focus my energy into this particular format, or you know, 
The reason I went to that school is because I felt like I had a pretty solid basis of like a handful of different types of variety work. But what I went there for specifically was to enrich my uh, character work and stage presence. You know, I just wanted to get rooted. I wanted to stop, you know, like moving my feet like a lot of amateurs do. I wanted to be able to plant myself and come from like a, you know, sort of a core. Uh, yeah, it's weird. It's almost hard to talk about. I feel like a lot of what we do for a living is manipulating energy, you mm -hmm. know, and I don't really believe there's, you know, psychic energy. I, I know a lot of, a lot of variety entertainers do believe that, but, but it's really useful to use the idea of uh, energy work as like a shorthand for a whole bunch of techniques that the body already instinctively knows how to do, you know? Yeah, so that's why I went to Del Arte. Was and about was, how oh, old and, were you? Uh, at that point, it was I was twenty three. Okay. Yeah, and the year before that, I went to Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College. Okay, so uh, and, I learned that style. And I mean, supposedly that's like one of the hardest statistically colleges to get into if you read their their uh, promo. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably a good idea to listen to their propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they said uh, harder than Harvard or Yale. Yeah. Of something like, uh, I was told at the time 10,000 people had applied and 30 got in. You know, it's pretty big uh, variance there. Yeah. And and so, like, when you go to clown college, do you get a scholarship? Do you, like, have to get financial aid? Like, how does that, like... The, the company had used it partly for the... Um, the PR that it would generate. So there was already a marketing angle. Mm. And also uh, one of the contracts I had to sign in order to get accepted was if I am offered a contract, I will accept that contract <laughs> and I will go on the road for a minimum of one year. Was there financial terms already? Like $7? <laughs> yeah, well, it was, you know. You will pay us to do the contract. Yeah, it was very low. The, yeah. the amount of money uh. first year clowns would earn. And so, but it was kind of built into the system, you know, like truck drivers, they go to school, but they're committed to, you know, going on the road with a company to train them. Yeah. Cause they, so it's yeah, not a I guess the company's paying for this model, yeah. but yeah, you know, and it was, it was a fair deal. So they paid uh, the, it was tuition free. And I think they, I think they covered the hotel. Maybe I had to come up with like 400 bucks for the hotel, but I'm not sure about that because um, it was a long time ago. <laughs> and they also uh, had some tailors make a custom clown suit. At no cost to you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's cool. I mean, have. It, you know, it's cool. a pity that it doesn't fit anymore. <laughs> now, how long, how long is clown college? It was two months. Oh, wow. The first month was just classes. And the second month was assembling a show and then performing the show, which was kind of like a graduation show slash, yeah. you know. And you had you had your own show already at that point, right? So, yeah. So yeah. Again, you're just sort of going into a school that teaches a different sort of medium, a different type of show that you maybe didn't have at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't really have any experience with uh, super broad physicality. Mm hmm. You know, didn't really even know what it was exactly. You know, the sort of, Hello! 
yeah. you know and the, the, i remember they were always saying you've got to be bigger 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 <laughs> faster funnier it was a bit like boot camp honestly you know <laughs> yeah, instead, of, instead of 100 push-ups you have to do 100 clown car drives or something yeah you get so did, yeah. did did you make the tour I did not. I was put on uh, so an you... alternate list, ah. uh, which meant they would draw from me next. But then I, um, but then I moved immediately, and <laughs> cell phones didn't exist yet, so they really had no way of getting in touch with me. So I just, I just moved down to New Orleans for uh, eh, like five months, and then and right at... on a, a tour around the country and pass through. California to audition for for Del Arte. Mm. Yeah. And so then I went to that. And was that what, what was the difference from going to the two schools, like sort of somewhat back to back? Was there just like, whoa, these are like completely different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Super different. I mean, with Ringling Brothers, it's like, you know, here's what we need. This is what you're going to do. But you got to really bring it, you know, and Del Arte, the whole approach is uh what are you going to bring? Like, what's your idea? You know? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. And it was interesting. It was a struggle, honestly, at first to understand what teachers were getting at. And there was one key sort of philosophical piece of information I wish I had then before I started that would have helped me a lot. And that is that uh, every teacher has to say, this is the truth this is this is absolutely the truth and everything else is wrong but it's the student's job to understand that a collection of artistic truths is an individual thing and so i was as a solo artist uh, sort of rubbing against the idea of you know but your truth is wrong you know mm. like i struggled with that and now i could see okay i can accept that this is the truth with this system yeah and I think I would have learned more if I'd been fully aware of that. I wish, mm. I wish there was sort of an opening day lecture on that topic. <laughs> maybe that's maybe you got to be a guest instructor and go back. Yeah, I am teaching um, coming up at Clown Camp in uh, La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's the first week of June, and uh, the guy running it was one of my teachers back in Clown College. Kenny oh, that's R. awesome! Nice. Yeah. So you're like a Clown Camp adjunct professor. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to start I, growing a beard. <laughs> I sort of like how you've sort of taken different elements. I mean, I watched a bunch of videos of you and it's like you got verbal comedy, you got physical comedy, you're, you got a million different faces. Um, so it looks like you, you know, you've taken all the things that you did some professional development in and sort of applied it to what you're doing today. Yeah. Yeah, I really I like this sort of grab bag, mix and match approach yeah. personally. And in some ways, I think about this, you know, late at night when I can't sleep, uh, how much further along I might be if I'd been able to focus more <laughs> on one particular genre, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's hard for me to do that because I have too many diverse interests. Yeah. And I, I think that's, to me, that's cool when someone brings in all their different interests, you get sort of a full rounded view of what the person is actually like or what they're into and what they've spent their time doing. I don't know. I think it's, you know, versus seven minutes of someone on a tightrope where you go, that's yeah. that guy's life is that right. That rope. Now you, admit we, we both do that. So I think that's why we say that. But... <laughs> why, why it's amazing. 
<laughs> now you mentioned okay so you said you do tightrope uh do you have a background in like gymnastics or athletics at all no and as a matter of fact any kind of like organized sport uh, i've been terrible at there's something uh when people are all competitive uh i kind of shut down and lose interest mm. um so no i didn't do any sort of gymnastics i just as a child I was always like walking on uh fences or you know running boulder fields was a real favorite pastime of mine what's hang on what's like, rocks at all oh. different angles and okay. you have to adjust your momentum and angle of attack with each jump as you're going it's a rural parkour yeah basically <laughs> sure <laughs> well, it's interesting that you say that about uh, the sports because, like, it seems like like golf is such a huge element of your show. You know, you have the the wedge phone. You do a bunch of golf club tricks. You do some balancing tricks. Is is that did that come out of playing golf, or is that just sort of no. you know? <laughs> <laughs> I don't play golf. I know it's kind of ridiculous. I'm like maybe one of the best people at ball handling uh but i don't play you know? yeah yeah i mean i came at it as a juggler um i saw a guy named paul bachman uh mr b the prince of jugglers he kind of talked like this he was a, a very inspiring guy like brilliant brilliant juggler and that was one of the components of his show and uh dan holtzman is another guy who I'm pretty sure Paul Bachman had talked to Dan. Dan might might really be the sort of godfather of an indoor golf show. Mm -hmm. And Dan's not doing it anymore. Uh, Paul Bachman unfortunately died like, I want to say eight years ago or maybe six, but pretty recent. Uh, so as far as I know, there's like almost nobody doing this kind of indoor golf act, you know? Yeah. So A lot of guys that do golf shows, they do it outside and it's largely uh, trick shots. Uh-huh. Uh but I had uh, uh, a set of twins a couple of years ago. They're they're eight now, so that's about when I started. What's never never meeting you? I'm actually personally like kind of excited about doing this interview because um, I actually use a video clip of you in. I do a workshop uh, like a juggling workshop on ships, and uh, and I show different types of juggling, and I show the golf club juggling, and I had found I didn't know it was you until the Moisture Festival. Wow. And um, so I guess I owe you some shekels here. I owe you some, <laughs> some really accolades. Right on. Yeah. Glad so it's a, help. I think it's you, it, it, you know, you're wearing a red shirt and a vest and you're doing like, I think you're juggling two golf clubs or two golf balls on the face of a golf club. And then you're doing three and out of your hand off of the golf club. Um, so, yeah, I have to say, you know, you're in my, you're in my workshop, man. Yeah. <laughs> That, that's special <laughs> yes it is <laughs> uh so you learned this from and are you do, do you do sort of golf retreats or is it just an element in your show yeah at this point it is uh i feel like it's so new you know i mean i've been doing it for about eight years which in retrospect is kind of a long time i suppose but it, it feels really new and it is it is the hardest thing that I do, certainly skill wise and like intention, uh, attention and focus super hard. Uh, and uh, coincidentally, my entire career, I always wanted to learn things that looked way harder than they actually were. Yeah. You know, that's that's been a specialty. Mine is phoning it in. <laughs> <laughs> that's where I really excel. 
but uh, uh, so long story short, no, I haven't really done any golf retreats or any mm. golf focused things with it. Uh, as I was learning it, I pictured, you know, this is going to be great for like trade shows, you know, to get people into the booth because 80% of trade show clients tend to be golfers. Mm. So seeing somebody doing crazy stuff with props that they've handled, yeah, having a, a draw. Um, but I haven't marketed it yet. I've just been using it as one element of uh, a longer show. Yeah, I bet there are like golf trade shows, like yeah. specific. Uh huh. I bet those exist. But I love the uh, the the you call it the wedge phone. It's different wedges. I, I don't know, you know, but they you play it like an instrument, and it makes different sounds, like a xylophone almost. Yeah, it's an array of five clubs all hooked together, and I've got a, a a piezo pickup I've wired under the bottom of each club head, so that it works like a trigger, basically to trigger a sound. Ah. And I programmed it so that each club uh, tri- makes a different sound trigger. Wow! And how many songs can you play on the the wedge phone? What's that? How many songs can you play on the wedge phone? Uh, about four. Yeah, that's that's still high on my to-do list is to learn more <laughs> stuff like that. Yeah, basically, uh, I I performed it for a season at an amusement park. Ah. Um, and one of the things I tend to do, and I don't know if this is a strength or a weakness, but when I'm on a run, I try to get the show uh, sort of locked in, zeroed in, and then it doesn't change very much. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. And I realize it's in some ways a waste. Like I, I could keep experimenting, yeah. but I feel duty bound to try to give the same experience to people three months down the road as other people had had before. Hmm. Interesting. And then each season, I always do, you know, new material. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I read on your website 20% new every year. Yeah, that's what it was. Basically, that's what my contract was. Well, is that is that true, or is that a Ringling Brothers sell? <laughs> right. Yeah. Twenty yeah. percent new every year. That's amazing. This park. Wow. Yeah. So was I, that, I don't is know. that Adventureland? Yes, Adventureland. Come on down to Adventureland. Something like that. But do you ever have people who come out and be like, "I liked the show better last year"? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it was a cool stage because it was on hydraulics. And it would rise and lower, and then it would lower down into the ground at the end. And uh, the worst heckle I ever received was uh, as the stage was lowering, someone yelled, hey, Brad Weston, that's just like your career. (laughs) Ouch. And at this point, my mic is off, you know, and all I could do is like show that I heard it, let it register. (laughs) See, I'd be like, they remembered my name. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. So, so it, it would rate like you go to do your act and it raises up. You do your act and then it lowers. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. So I'd fill it with smoke so that when it raised up into the middle of this cafe, uh, like an outdoor cafe, smoke would go billowing out and the music would be strong and, and the, the lights seagulls are flying. <laughs> Laser show. <laughs> and so, where where are you from? I I sort of read. Com- different things. I read Iowa. I read Florida. Is this, where are you, where are you from? I'm from Chicago. Oh, that's what you said. Where I then. grew up. Yeah. Where, where uh, did the Des Moines thing come from? I. Well, okay. I, 
I've been at this job uh, in right, right by Des Moines, this amusement park for 10 years. And uh, as my kids were starting to grow up, I was missing the last couple of weeks of school because we were already open on weekends uh, at the park. And then I'd missed the first couple of weeks of school. So eventually I just asked for a five-year contract and then moved the whole family out. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. And is Adventureland still is over? Okay, is is but Adventureland still exists? It does, it does without me though, so it's gonna <laughs> stop. But does it really exist with it? Exactly. Now that I'm gone, <laughs> <laughs> who? What other golf jugglers coming up from the smoke in the cafes? <laughs> I know right, you get you get that. It's that's true. So I saw you do a bunch of like stilt characters there too. Yeah, and, for sure. And I saw you like you do Elvis. You do uh huh. What what what, what character? What stilt characters do you do? Uh, okay, so I've tried to put a focus on things where there's a strong interaction component. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the things that's been very popular is a cowboy character where I spin a lasso and then let people stand inside the loop mm-hmm. for photos. Yep. You know, which is really bad at like a blue and gold banquet or something when there's a hundred kids, man, the shoulder can get sore after about oh, 10 geez. minutes of that position. Yeah. <laughs> you almost need like a mechanical one that just does it automatically. Yeah, exactly. But like, still you're holding your arm up, you know? Yeah. And I'm lazy. So. What well, know, is that the, I saw a picture, like it sort of looked like a Western themed show. Do you also do a Western themed show or. I used to do a school assembly that was a Western mm-hmm. show called Crossing the Prairie. Uh, so I've got like a Western, like a Conestoga wagon backdrop. And it Ooh. was essentially an educational show about what life was like during uh, um, uh, the white settlers expansion West. I haven't done it for probably close to a decade now. Is it like the game Oregon Trail where like, you know, some kids die of dysentery? and then- You've got dysentery. Yeah. It's like Oregon Trail with juggling. i mean yeah because there's like whip cracking and lasso spinning Mm -hmm. um also for that show you guys know what miser's dream is yeah yeah it's like basically a coin production routine where you're grabbing coins and putting them into the bucket Mm -hmm. Uh, i did that where i did sort of a a fantasy segment about what gold fever might have felt like oh yeah yeah there's also a puppetry segment in that show where it was uh, a squirrel and a vulture having a conversation. You know, how did how did that go over? Was that yeah. did it play well at schools? But yeah, the, the squirrel was like he, he was like, oh man, I think I need to go get me some of them there beans. And then he ate he eats them, and he's like, wait, they tasted kind of weird. Oh no, I think I just ate coffee beans. <laughs> and then he's freaking out, and you know knocking things over going nuts yeah so it went over pretty well probably <laughs> like him better than me honestly that's I that's the the puppet acts uh what, what all of them say is that the no one likes the vent everyone likes the puppet yeah yeah my <laughs> wife does uh puppet shows she was at the same amusement park as me for uh like six years doing puppet shows how, how did you two meet we met on a cruise ship there used to be a program called uh, the Cruise Comics on Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. A uh, lot of variety of entertainers, probably in the United States, I want to say like 30 or so people have worked that job. And the job doesn't exist anymore. But um, 
the person who was booking it was Steve Smith, who had been the dean at my clown college. So basically, I walked in for the audition. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, I got this, you know. <laughs> yeah. So he nailed his yeah, third audition. My, my wife uh, was trained as a dancer and improv comic, but had never done any juggling or stilts or anything in the variety arts. But, you know, she somehow convinced them she was going to learn it all by the time the contract started. And she did. And yes, yeah, great comedian, man. She's really good with people. And cute does she still do so, puppets and perform? What's that? Does she still also do puppets and continue to perform? Yeah. Yeah. Our contract, both of our contracts ended at Adventureland last at the end of last season. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. And also uh, there was an entire circus there that also got canned. Man. Yeah. I know. But like the, all variety arts are out. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're going to replace us with like uh, sports on TV, like (laughs) big screen TVs. Yeah, you're laughing now, but the way of the future, man. They got a hologram of your show. (laughs) They're like, we own all rights. Read the contract. (laughs) They're just showing videos of your show from the last 10 years. (laughs) Yeah, but I'll double cross them because all I have to do is. like mess up in the whole moral turpitude region. Oh. You know, once I give my name a bad name, then they can't use it anymore. <laughs> yeah, I will you, cut that nose right off. You'll just add that you're on Epstein's Island to your Wikipedia and be like, nah. <laughs> now, uh, do yeah. you, are, are you a Guinness World Record holder? Is that what I read? I was a Guinness World Record breaker. Breaker, gotcha. However, I found out in the middle of last season uh basically and what the record was it was bouncing a golf ball on a single club face without letting it touch the ground or my body for the longest amount of time and the record i was trying to beat was an hour and seven minutes Mm -hmm. and i did 138 okay so last year during my right after my show some kids came up and said you're a liar i'm like what are you talking about you don't have a record and that was how I learned that someone had beat me during uh, the COVID's home confinement. Oh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, it's like a teenager, too. So. And how much did they break it by? Oh, like five minutes. Oh, okay. So, you, you in, in theory, if you wanted to. You I could go back and, yeah. you know. You got, you got this. But I want to I let him get a little older first. Like, maybe I'll wait till he moves away from his parents. Yeah. Smart. <laughs> smart. <laughs> You when know. he has like, you know, bills and a job. Yeah, no support structure. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's coming back to daddy. <laughs> nice. So, um, and so you have the certificate and everything. Yeah, yeah, I got my, yeah. cool, my man. Guinness certificate. As I think and it I doesn't have a record in private bouncing a ball between two clubs, um, which is surprisingly harder than one club because you have to be equally good with your left. Yeah. Mm. And, um, the trajectory is a little weird because the ball is no longer straight up and down. You can't have your head over it. Oh yeah. So it's, it's like, yeah, it's, it's odd. Unless you rocked, you know, you like, you could hit it rock, you know, like this. Yeah. It's a lot. The less you move, the better with something like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, well, so what was, what are you at with hitting the ball back and forth between well, the two that, I broke the world record three times in private uh, and I filmed it, but it wasn't like an official, I didn't have witnesses. So it doesn't count. Yeah. For Guinness, 
Uh, and then when I tried to do the Guinness thing, I couldn't beat like 35 minutes. It was weird. Oh, hmm. gotcha. Whereas in private, I think I did an hour and 10. Gotcha. What's, yeah. Do you think so, you... What's go the ahead, I'm going to go back in and collect <laughs> that record as well at some point. What's the yeah. number to, to beat? I think the number to beat is roughly an hour, okay. hour two, somewhere in there. It, I'll have to relook, but you know, an hour-ish. That's awesome. Do you think this is sort of off topic, but do you think you could do like three golf balls on two uh, club faces? Uh, I want to say that it's feasible. It's possible. Uh, I don't think I am going to spend the time learning that. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, one of the challenges, like launching the balls to begin with, because your hands are already holding clubs. Like, how do you feed into the system? And I thought, you know, maybe like a sort of a foot pedal thing to get them started. Yeah. You know, stamp, stamp, stamp to launch the ball. Uh, yeah. And then it's, um, I do, I do three balls on one club and uh, I also do four balls on one club. Wow. Yeah. It, but it involves multiplexing. Yeah. Uh, you guys know what that is for the non-jugglers that are listening. Multiplexing is where you throw multiple balls at the same time. Uh. So like that's, multiple that's balls really out of good. one hand. Yeah. So like generally you'll see a lot of guys do like six balls, but they throw them as three sets of two. Mm. So it's not as hard as a classic six ball, but the multiplexing has its own challenges because yeah. you have to tip your hand just right so that the, the lower ball flies less high than the upper ball. So you're splitting them in the air basically by the precision of your launch. <laughs> I would say, so like, Bray, like you got your records on the back burner. What's what's coming up next for Brad? Oh, you got man. Adventureland in the rearview mirror. Yeah, so I'm still embittered. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, maybe healing from my bitterness. That would be that would be spectacular. Um, so basically, right after I found out that I was I no longer had a a gravy train set up, uh, I got a phone call from. Uh, Kenny Ahern from uh, GL Berg agency. And they said they'd like to represent me for the fair and festival market. So essentially I've replaced all of the income that I've lost already for this upcoming season with state fairs and stuff like that. Nice. Which a relief because while there, I felt like I was in free fall, you know? Yeah. What am well, I going to do? <laughs> yeah. Cause the truth is I haven't like, until very recently, I hadn't worked on a website in a decade. And you remember what the technology was like 10 years ago. I mean, uh, I mean, it was practically like having a MySpace page, you know. You had a lot of music that auto-played. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Super loud. Well, yeah, it can, it can be a little nerve-wracking when something that you've relied on for so long has been consistent. You know where to park, you know the show, you know who the, the audience is. And you know that you're going to get a certain amount of money every year. And then all of a yeah. sudden that's gone. And then it's like, whoa, like what? Uh -huh. you know. Yeah. And marketing is this whole other collection of skills that's totally yeah. different than the performing skills. Right. And there's some people who are performers who are better at marketing than they are at their their show. Mm. And they work a lot more. <laughs> yeah. There's some people that are only good at the marketing. Yeah. Right. You know, <laughs> and they work more than people who do brilliant work. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's rare so you hit, so, there's someone that just crushes it on both. Right. It is rare. Uh, so how did you, uh, how did you hear about the moisture festival? I have a lot of friends who have done it over the years and 
every year about that time, I'd start seeing the Facebook posts and, you know, I'd start getting the jealousy <laughs> and, uh, you know, rage, frankly. Why isn't it me? Why can't I be someone, you know? Uh, and I specifically set out to want to do it this year because I knew uh, I haven't made connections in a decade. Yeah. <laughs> and it's time to start saying hi to people again, time to come out of my, my underground hole underneath that cafe and, uh, you know, be a face. Rise to the surface like a hydraulic stage. Yeah. <laughs> like a hydraulic powered Phoenix. <laughs> it actually, the stage broke down two years ago. <laughs> Man, I am striking out on everything here. Every, everything has died. <laughs> Everything's died. Uh, yeah. And that was weird too, because they, uh, when when everything was shut down because of the pandemic, like every other working performer, I thought, you know, it's basically over for me. I'm going to have to get a job somewhere. And, you know, I didn't I didn't actually get a job. I just thought about it for a couple of months, you know, and then I get a call. We're opening in a week or no, five days. I had five days and they're like, and your stage is broken. Good luck. Can you do your show six feet underground? <laughs> yeah, no, it was broken up. But the, the problem was there was there wasn't a backstage area. Um, and because I do stuff with swords and knives and and because it's an amusement park full of un uh, unmonitored teenagers, I had to build a backstage mm. and they're like, we're not helping you. We're busy good luck. You know, so I had to like become a a stage carpenter, you know, and it, the stage wasn't ready until 12 hours before the park opened. (laughs) So I couldn't even like work on anything site specific. I just had to slap it together and pray. Yeah. I see there's your other COVID job right there. You became a stage carpenter. Yeah. Also uh, last year, uh, I learned to drive a semi truck and I spent four months driving just cause I always wanted to. Nice. Yeah. And I did it up until the season opened again at the park and then quit the truck driving job. But it's so like some- around town or like across the country. It was uh regional in the Midwest. Okay. Now, did you, yeah. so did you have the sign the contract with a con- company that taught you just like clown school? <laughs> no, I basically, First, you have to get like your um, your permits for it. And I got like the double and triple trailers and hazardous materials and all that. Mm. That was just book study. So I sat down and got all the permits. And then I paid somebody with a truck to uh, like breathe down my neck while I ground his gears out. <laughs> um, yeah. So it was like five, uh, five one hour sessions. And then I took the test and passed. Nice. Yeah, and that was it. Do you have to like parallel park or? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, back up around corners. Oh, brutal. Uh, yeah, some of that stuff was pretty challenging. But then the yeah. company I got hired by had like a, it was a two week sort of intro just to make sure every driver was up to snuff. So I basically went there as a terrible driver and two weeks later was, you know, pretty competent. Nice. What's yeah, the, so now I feel like I get handled pretty much any kind of rig. Yeah. What's the weirdest thing you've ever hauled? Uh, okay. Here's the weird part that the weirdest thing was that a lot of times I was, 
I was working for a company that made tortilla chips, right? <laughs> so I would be backing up to these like storage facilities, like like regular residential storage facilities, you know, gravel and, you know, no real roach control. Mm-hmm. And in the middle of the night, unloading bags of chips into these people's storages. And what? I just thought, man, I didn't want to know this about the food industry. <laughs> you know, but the tortilla chips are there. They were taking the stuff from their facility and dropping it off at Walmarts and things. Yeah. And that's kind of how a lot of the food industry works. It's, you know, I didn't want to know that. Man. (laughs) (laughs) But an endless supply of tortilla chips you had on the road, which is kind of nice. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I never had to worry about going hungry on the road. (laughs) (laughs) So coming off your first sort of time, first time visiting the Moisture Festival, how was it? How was your experience? Did it live up to sort of the anger in your mind when you saw other people performing there? Was it like, yeah, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. I mean, I got to post all my pictures and, and someone said, uh, I sure wish I had gotten to do that. And I'm like, (laughs) it was you. When when your buddy texts you, who books that? You're like, yeah, (laughs) but you'll never do it. It's mine. (laughs) I just signed a five-year contract with them. <laughs> yep. I love the idea that they families for traveling artists to stay at. Because the, the person that, that was hosting me was so cool. Sort of an insight into the, the Seattle scene and, you know, things to do on my time off. Um, I like the idea. I liked hanging out. Basically, I was, I was working with people that, you know, I grew up saying someday I want to work on this stages them you know and yeah. so it was pretty rewarding like that i really to this day truly admire i was working with and that was that was neat yeah yeah and you know being part of it for so long it's it is like be you're like oh wow i grew up idolizing these people and now i'm sharing the stage with them and you know, yeah yeah uh, i i have no business being on the same show with this person but you know you do yeah you know you earned it somehow. Yeah. <laughs> By being yeah. the only golf ball. So it was a great experience, you know. And you did your golf ball act? Yeah, I did. I did a, you know, a shortened version. I did like uh, eight minutes. Basically. Uh-huh. And is that sort of, I saw that you were doing that act at some circus, like some circuses. Is that? Um... Yeah, I toured with Venardo Circus for a mm-hmm. couple of seasons. Um, right. So that act definitely was the way I presented it was sort of a nonverbal circus style uh-huh. approach. Yeah. That's rad. With a lot of big motions. <laughs> no, I, you know, as far as like the type of circus that I love, I don't like a super big circus and I especially don't like multiple rings. Mm. Yeah. You know, I like a focused, almost cabaret kind of approach. Agreed. You know, yeah. I want people to be able to see me sigh, you know, I mean, because there's so much power in people being able to see the movement of your chest as you breathe. Yeah. You know, so a thing called mirroring, uh, which we all do socially. It's part of our programming as a human being where we tend to make the same facial expression of the person we're looking at. And the purpose of it in the animal kingdom is to show a sense of connectedness. Uh, and it's almost unstoppable. I became pretty aware of it when I was doing a trick with a balloon and I'd look out and see kids like purse their lips as if they were blowing up the balloon while watching Mm. me do it, you know? 
And then I'm like, oh, there's power here. Yeah. And since then, I've been playing with the idea of using my chest expansion as a way to express tension or release of tension. It's just something for the toolbox. Yeah, and that's totally. crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think like in larger for like just watching some of your videos, like facial expressions is such a big part of what you're doing that I think you would lose out on the sort of experience if you're three rings away from what you're doing. Right. Next yeah, to sure. next to a guy putting his head in a lion's mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I remember being at a full size circus. I'm not going to say the name of the show. Uh, but I was with my daughter who was, um, uh, like roughly eight and she's like, Hey dad, when are the clowns going to come out? Uh, but they were out at that very moment, <laughs> you know, and she just couldn't tell cause there yeah. was so much going on. It, yeah. Like you can't do comedy when you've got showgirls. Yeah. It's brutal. Yep. Yeah. So if uh, people want to find out about you, they can do so at bradweston.com. Is there any other sites that uh, they should look for you? Definitely don't check the most wanted site. <laughs> GL Berg, I found you on there. Okay, uh, yeah. Some YouTube stuff. Yeah, there's some YouTube stuff I put up. I'm not really uh, uh, keeping up on posting things in places. <laughs> Pretty sporadic. I mean, I'm like an ADHD kind of person, mm -hmm. so I'll go at something really hard for a week or a month and then switch to something else. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's traces of me out there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just wrote a book recently. Oh, what's what? up with that? Yeah. Now, the, the funny thing is, well, I'm, I'm moving right now, so I'm like super busy. I'm too busy to really promote this book, but um. And also it's kind of about the insurrection, um, but it's a sort of a children's book, wink, wink. Yeah. And uh, so it's basically, it's called a beginner's guide to treason. <laughs> the rights of rhymes for divisive times. Oh man. Yeah. And it's, I put it out there on um, Amazon, but I haven't, uh. I haven't, you're the first people I've actually told about this. My wife said, look, don't spread this around Facebook because some of your uh, clients that you're Facebook friends with are very conservative, you know, sort of Trump fans and they'll take offense. And I believe, I believe she's right. <laughs> you know, there's a, um, a writer's club that I joined here in Des Moines. Um, and they're just so encouraging, you know, just, just write your book, get it out there. Yeah. So I, I wrote this book and it's all poetry and each poem is about a different character in real life that historically had a, uh, a role to play in the attempted insurrection. Um, and uh, so I sent it to the, um, the person who put this club together and, uh, and she wrote back just angrier than all get out about, well, there's two sides to everything here and it's, you're just doing propaganda, <laughs> you know, which I was kind of offended because like, you don't have to like a subject to be able to make helpful suggestions on. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you can, you can be like, that's not a word <laughs> or whatever you can give. Yeah. She just kept going, you know, I don't even know what this is. It's not journalism. It, you know, journalism. I don't know. It, it's like, well, no, it's, 
you know, it's satire. Yes. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. So people can find that on Amazon. They can find it on Amazon. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> Beginner's Guide it. to Treason. Brad, we want to thank you so much for your time, man. This has been awesome. And yeah, we hope we're looking forward to seeing you again at the Moisture Festival in the future. Yeah, I hope so too. I'll I'll show up with a whole different whole different skill set. <laughs> yeah. And we're gonna Louie and I are gonna each buy the book. So you're gonna get two sales. Boom. My first two sales. Boom, right there. <laughs> Look at that. All right, this interview paid off already. <laughs> That's my retirement right there. <laughs> All right, buddy. Well, thank you for your time, man. We appreciate yeah, it. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts at if you would like to find out information on louis and i's shows you can do so by visiting louis site which is louis fox with two x's dot com and matt baker's site comedy stunt dot com spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled yes and we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.